The Dark is Rising by Susan Cooper. Part two, The Learning. Chapter... <laughs> yeah, this is chapter, the second half of chapter two. The second half of the chapter called Betrayal. Merriman was moving round, and now every one had a glass of punch and was sipping contentedly. The manor's Christmas punch was always delicious, though no one had ever quite worked out what went into it. As the senior members of the family, the twins strolled dutifully across to chat with Miss Greythorn. Barbara, with Mary in tow, made a bee-line for Miss Hampton, the housekeeper, and Annie the maid, both reluctant members of a village drama group she was trying to force into life. Merriman said to James, "'You and your little brother sing very well.' James beamed. Though plumper, he was no taller than Will, and it was not often that a stranger gratified him by recognizing him as a superior older brother. "'We sing in the school choir,' he said, "'and solos at arts festivals, even one in London last year. The music master's very keen on arts festivals.' "'I'm not,' said Will. "'All those mothers glaring.' "'Well, you were top of your class in London,' James said, "'so of course they all hated you, beating their little darlings.' "'I was only fifth in mine,' he said, in matter-of-fact tones to Merriman. "'Will has a lot better voice than me.' "'Oh, come off it,' said Will. "'Yes, you have.' James was a fair-minded boy. He genuinely preferred reality to daydreams. "'Till we both break, at any rate. Neither of us might be any good then.' Merriman said absent-mindedly, "'In point of fact, you will become a most accomplished tenor.' almost professional standard. Your brother's voice will be baritone. Pleasant, but nothing special. I suppose that might be possible, said James, polite but disbelieving. Of course, there's no way at all for anyone to tell yet. Will said belligerently, but he— and caught Merriman's dark eye and stopped. Mm, ah, he said, and James looked at him with astonishment. Miss Graythorn called across the room to Merriman. Paul, would, uh, sorry, Miss Graythorn called across the room to Merriman. Paul would like to see the old recorders and flutes. Take him in, would you? Merriman inclined his head in a small bow. He said casually to Will and James, Care to come too? No, thank you, said James promptly. His eyes were on the far door through which the housekeeper was advancing with another tray. I smell Miss Hampton's mince pies. Will said, understanding, I'd quite like to see. He moved with Merriman towards Miss Graythorn's chair, where Paul and Robin stood, stiff and rather awkward, one at each side like guardsmen. Off with you, said Miss Graythorn briskly. Are you going too, Will? Of course, you're another musical one I was forgetting. Quite a good little collection of instruments and stuff in there. Surprised you haven't seen them before. Lulled by the words, Will said thoughtlessly, "'In the library?' Miss Graythorn's sharp eyes glittered at him. "'The library?' she said. "'You must be mixing us up with someone else, Will. "'There's no library here. "'Once there was a small one, with some most valuable books, I believe, "'but it burned down almost a century ago. "'This part of the house was struck by lightning. "'Did a lot of damage, they say.' "'Oh, dear,' said Will, in some confusion.' "'Well, this is no talk for Christmas,' Miss Graythorn said, and waved them off. Glancing back at her, as she turned to Robin with a bright social smile, 
Will found himself wondering whether the two Miss Greythorns were not one after all. Merriman led him with Paul to a side door, and they walked through a strange, musty-smelling little passage into a high, bright room that Will did not at once recognize. It was only when he caught sight of the fireplace that he realized where he was. There was the wide hearth, and the broad mantel with its square panels and carved Tudor rose emblems. But round the rest of the room the panelling was gone. The walls were instead painted flat white, and brightened here and there by some large, improbable-looking seascapes done in lurid blues and greens. In the place where Will had once gone into the little library, there was no longer any door. Merriman was unlocking a tall, glass-fronted cabinet that stood against a side wall. "'Miss Greythorne's father was a very musical gentleman,' he said in his butler voice, "'and artistic, too. He painted all those pictures on the walls over there, in the West Indies, I believe. These, though—' He lifted out a small, beautiful instrument like a recorder, black, inlaid with silver. He didn't actually play, they say. He just liked to look at them.' Paul was absorbed at once, peering at, into, through, the old flutes and recorders, as Merriman handed them out of the cupboard. They were both most solemn in their handling. They would put each one carefully back before taking the next out. Will turned to study the panels round the fireplace, then jumped suddenly, as he heard Merriman silently calling to him. At the same time he could hear Merriman's voice aloud speaking to Paul. It was an eerie combination." "'Quickly now,' said the voice in his mind. "'You know where to look. Quick, while you have the chance. It is time to take the sign.' "'But,' said Will's mind. "'Go on!' Merriman silently roared. Will glanced back quickly over his shoulder. The door through which they had come was still half open, but his ears would surely warn him of anyone coming up the passage between this room and the next. He moved, soft-footed to the fireplace, reached up, and put his hands on the panelling. Shutting his eyes for an instant, he appealed to all his new gifts and the old world from which they came. Which square panel had it been? Which carved rose? He was confused by the loss of the panelled wall all around. The mantel seemed smaller than before. Was the sign lost, bricked up somewhere behind that flat white wall? He pressed every rose that he could see, round the top left corner top left-hand corner of the fireplace, but none moved even a fraction of an inch. Then at the last moment he noticed at the very point of the corner a rose part buried in plaster jutting out of the wall that clearly had been repaired as well as altered in the last hundred years, ten minutes, he thought wildly, since he had last seen it. Hastily Will reached up high and pressed his thumb as hard as he could against the center of the carved flower, as if it were a bell-push and as he heard the soft click he was staring into a black square hole in the wall, exactly on the level of his eyes. He reached in and touched the circle of the sign of wood, and as he sighed in relief, his fingers closing round the smooth wood, he heard Paul begin to play one of the old flutes. It was very tentative playing, a slow arpeggio first, then a hesitant run, and then very softly and gently Paul began playing the melody Green Sleeves and Will stood transfixed, not only by the lovely lilt of the old tune, but by the sound of the instrument itself. 
for though the melody was different, this was his music, his enchantment, the same eerie, far-away tone that he heard always, and then always lost at those moments in his life that mattered most. What was the nature of the flute that his brother was playing? Was it part of the old ones, belonging to their magic, or simply something very like, made by men? He drew his hand back from the gap in the wall, which closed instantly, before he could press the rose again, and he was sliding the sign of wood into his pocket as he turned, lost in listening. And then he froze. Paul stood playing across the room beside the cabinet. Merriman had his back turned, and his hands on the glass doors. But now the room held two other figures as well— in the doorway, through which they had come, stood Maggie Barnes, staring not at Will, but at Paul, with a look of dreadful malevolence. And close beside Will, very close, in the spot where the door to the old library had once been, towered the black rider. He was within arm's length of Will, though he did not move, but stood transfixed, as if the music had arrested him in mid-stride. His eyes were closed, his lips silently moving, his hands were stretched out, pointing ominously towards Paul, as the sweet, unearthly music went on. Will did one thing well, from the instinct of his new learning. Instantly he flung up a wall of resistance round Merriman and Paul and himself, so that the two of the dark swayed backward from the force of it, but at the same time he shrieked, "'Merriman!' and as the music broke off, both Paul and Merriman swung round in swift horror. He knew what he had done was wrong. He had not called as the old ones should call one another through the mind. He had made the very bad mistake of shouting aloud. The rider and Maggie Barnes vanished instantly. Paul was striding across the room in concern. "'What on earth's up, Will? Did you hurt yourself?' Merriman said swiftly, smoothly, from behind him, he stumbled, I think, and Will had the wit to crease his face with pain, bend slowly over as if in anguish, and clutch hard at one arm. There was the sound of running feet, and Robin burst into the room from the passage, with Barbara close behind. "'What's the matter? We heard the most awful yell!' He looked at Will, and slowed to a halt, puzzled. "'You all right, Will?' "'Uh,' said Will, "'I, uh, I just banged my funny bone. Sorry.' It hurt. Sounded as if someone was murdering you, Barbara said reproachfully. Shamelessly Will took refuge in rudeness, his fingers curling in his pocket to make sure the third sign was safe. Well, I'm sorry to disappoint you, he said petulantly, but really I'm all right. I just banged myself and yelled, that's all. Sorry if you were frightened. I don't see what all the fuss is about. Robin glared at him. Catch me running anywhere to rescue you next time, he said witheringly. "'Talk about the boy crying wolf,' Barbara said. "'I think,' Merriman said gently, closing the cupboard and turning the key, "'that we should all go and give Miss Greythorn one more carol.' And, quite forgetting that he was no more than the butler, they all filed dutifully out of the room in his wake. Will called after him, in proper silence this time, "'But I must speak to you. The rider was here, and the girl.' Merriman said into his mind, "'I know. Later. They have ways of hearing this kind of talk, remember.' And he moved on, leaving Will twitching with exasperation and alarm. In the doorway, Paul paused, took Will firmly by the shoulder, and turned him to look in his face. "'Are you really all right?' "'Honest. 
"'Sorry about the noise. That flute sounded super.' "'Fantastic thing!' Paul let him go, turning to gaze longingly at the cupboard. "'Really, I've never heard anything like it, and of course never played one. You've no idea, Will. I can't describe. Ah, cat!' Walking across the keyboard. "'You've no idea, Will. I can't describe.' It's tremendously old, and yet the condition it's in, it might be almost new. And the tone of it! There was an ache in his voice and his face that something in Will responded to with a deep, ancient sympathy. An old one, he suddenly knew, was doomed always to feel this same formless, nameless longing for something out of reach, as an endless part of life. "'I'd give anything,' Paul said, "'to have a flute like that one day.' "'Almost anything,' Will said gently. "'Paul stared at him in astonishment, "'and the old one in Will suddenly realized belatedly "'that this was not perhaps the response of a small boy. "'So he grinned, stuck out his tongue impishly at Paul, "'and skipped through the passage, "'back to the normal relationships of the normal world. "'They sang the first Noel as their last carol. "'They made their farewells. "'They were out again in the snow and the crisp air, with Merriman's impassive, polite smile disappearing behind the manor doors. Will stood on the broad stone steps and gazed up at the stars. The clouds had cleared at last, and now the stars blazed like pinpricks of white fire in the black hollow of the night sky. In all the strange patterns that had been a complicated mystery to him all his life, but were endlessly significant now. "'See how bright the Pleiades are tonight,' he said softly. <coughs> "'and Mary stared at him in amazement and said, "'The what?' "'So Will brought his attention down out of the fiery black heavens, "'and in their own small yellow torch-lit world the Stanton carolers trooped home. "'He walked among them speechless, as if in a dream. "'They thought him tired, but he was floating in wonder. "'He had three of the signs of power now. "'He had, too, the knowledge to use the gift of grammarie, a long lifetime of discovery and wisdom, given to him in a moment of suspended time. He was not the same Will Stanton that he had been a very few days before. Now and forever, he knew, he inhabited a different time-scale from that of every one he had ever known or loved. But he managed to turn his thoughts away from all these things, even from the two invading, threatening figures of the dark, for this was Christmas— which had always been a time of magic, to him and to all the world. This was a brightness, a shining festival, and while its enchantment was on the world, the charmed circle of his family and home would be protected against any invasion from outside. Indoors the tree glowed and glittered, and the music of Christmas was in the air, and spicy smells came from the kitchen, and in the broad hearth of the living room the great twisted yule root flickered and flamed as it gently burned down. Will lay on his back on the hearthrug, staring into the smoke wreathing up the chimney, and was suddenly very sleepy indeed. James and Mary, too, were trying not to yawn, and even Robin looked heavy-lidded. "'Too much punch,' said James, as his tall brother stretched gaping in an armchair. "'Get lost,' said Robin amiably. "'Who'd like a mince pie?' said Mrs. Stanton, coming in with a vast tray of cocoa mugs. "'James has had six already,' said Mary, in, in prim disapproval, at the manor. "'Now it's eight, said James, a mince-pie in each hand. "'Yah!' 
"'You'll get fat,' Robin said. "'Better than being fat already,' James said through a mouthful, and stared pointedly at Mary, whose plump form had recently become her most gloomy preoccupation. Mary's mouth drooped, then tightened, and she advanced on him, making a snarling sound. "'Ho, ho, ho!' said Will, sepulchrally from the floor. "'Good little children never fight at Christmas.' And, since Mary was irresistibly close to him, he grabbed her by the ankle. She collapsed on top of him, howling cheerfully. "'Mind the fire,' said Mrs. Stanton, from years of habit. "'Ow!' said Will, as his sister thumped him in the stomach, and he rolled away out of, out of reach. Mary stopped and sat gazing at him curiously. "'Why on earth have you got so many buckles on your belt?' she demanded. Will tugged his sweater hastily down over his belt, but it was too late. Everyone had seen. Mary reached forward and yanked the sweater up again. "'What funny things! What are they?' "'Just decoration,' Will said gruffly. "'I made them in metalwork at school.' "'I never saw you,' said James. "'You never looked, then.' Mary prodded a finger forward at the first circle on Will's belt and rolled back with a howl. "'It burned me!' she shrieked. "'Very probably,' said her mother. "'Will and his belt have both been lying next to the fire, "'and you'll both be on top of it if you go on rolling about like that. "'Come on now. "'Christmas Eve drink, Christmas Eve mince pie, Christmas Eve bed.' "'Will scrambled gratefully to his feet. "'I'll get my presents while the cocoa cools off.' "'So will I,' Mary followed him. "'On the stairs,' she said, "'those buckle things are pretty. "'Will you make me one for a brooch next term?' "'I might,' Will said, and he grinned to himself. Mary's curiosity was never much to worry about. It always led to the same place. They pounded up to their respective bedrooms, and came down laden with packages to be added to the growing pile beneath the tree. Will had been trying hard not to look at this magical heap ever since they came in from carol singing, but it was sorely difficult, especially since he could see one gigantic box labelled with a name that clearly began with a W— "'Who else began with a W, after all?' "'He forced himself to ignore it, "'and resolutely piled his own armful "'in a space at the side of the tree. "'You're watching, James!' "'Mary shrilled behind him. "'I am not,' said James. "'Then he said, because it was Christmas Eve. "'Well, yes, I expect I was. Sorry.' "'And Mary was so taken aback "'that she deposited all her parcels in silence, "'unable to think of anything to say.' On Christmas night Will always slept with James. Both twin beds were still in James's room from the time before Will had moved up to Stephen's attic. The only difference now was that James kept Will's old bed piled with op-art cushions, and referred to it as my chaise lounge. There was something about Christmas Eve, they both felt, that demanded company. One needed somebody to whisper to, during the warm, beautiful, dream-taught moments between hanging the empty stocking at the end of the bed and dropping into the cosy oblivion that would flower into the marvel of Christmas morning. While James was splashing in the bathroom, Will slipped off his belt, buckled it again round the three signs, and put them under his pillow. It seemed prudent, even though he still knew without question that no one and nothing would trouble him or his home during this night. Tonight, perhaps for the last time, he was an ordinary boy again. Strands of music and the soft rumble of voices drifted up from below. In solemn ritual, Will and James looped their Christmas stockings over their bedposts. Precious, unbeautiful brown stockings of a thick, soft stuff— 
worn by their mother in some unimaginably distant time, and misshapen now by years of service as Christmas hold-alls. When filled, they would become top-heavy, and could no longer hang. They would be discovered instead lying magnificent across the foot of the beds. "'Bet I know what Mum and Dad are giving you,' James said softly. "'Bet it's a—' "'Don't you dare!' Will hissed, and his brother giggled and dived under the blankets. "'Good night, Will. Night. Happy Christmas. Happy Christmas.' And it was the same as it always was, as he lay curled up happily in his snug wrappings, promising himself that he would stay awake until—until— until he woke, in the dim morning room with a glimmer of light creeping round the dark square of the curtained window, and saw and heard nothing for an enchanted expectant space, because all his senses were concentrated on the weighty feel, over and around his blanketed feet, of strange bumps and corners and shapes that had not been there when he fell asleep. And it was Christmas Day. End of chapter, uh, part two, chapter two, part two, <laughs> the betrayal.